In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's Gospel from the Gospel of Saint Matthew records some very powerful words from our Lord that we might be tempted to think are an exaggeration and that they only apply to people of uh, ancient times and different cultures, but not to us. But they were pronounced by our Lord and we have to see exactly how they, be, they can be integrated into our life. He says in chapter 5, right after the Beatitudes, But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into Gehenna. Of course, we understand the power of this image, particularly directed to the intentionality behind our gaze, behind our look. He is suggesting something about the value of how we look at things, in particular uh, how we look at women or just other human persons, human beings. Just, just our look, just our gaze, just, just one look. Like that famous song from the 60s, just one look, that's all it took. That's all it took made very popular by Linda Ronstadt with a great beat and a great uh, piano riff in there. Came out in 1963, but then Linda Ronstadt, she just, uh, she just took it away in 1980. I still remember in high school, just one look. That's all it took. And, uh, and then even during the Super Bowl, Pepsi had a commercial, well, of a you know, rather attractive lady taking, taking in a Pepsi. And that song was in the background. Just one look, that's all it took. And the, these boys are looking at the Pepsi can, <laughs> right? And uh, sort of uh, playing on that and um, sort of suggesting that both the Pepsi is as beautiful as that, that young lady, right? But it does show the value of our gaze and uh, how we look at others and what this tells us about our intentionality. And as we do our prayer this afternoon, we have to ask our Lord so that he, well, he explains to us exactly what he means. What do you mean, Lord? Are you just exaggerating about plucking out our eye? Because ultimately, it shows that what we see reflects our deeper intention, our deeper purpose, our deepest desires. Now, the Lord is speaking about this in the section where he's clarifying the 
the the old law which had prohibited uh, adultery in the, in the Ten Commandments, but now he's refining that in the new law. Of course, adultery is prohibited, it goes against the, the old law, but now he's talking about, he's kind of pushing the integrity of that law to including even your external gaze or how you, how you, how you look at a woman, not just actually acting on it. It's about truer integrity, it's about authenticity, greater interior and exterior coherence. The two have to go together in this unity of life. That is what the Lord is suggesting. In other words, just looking at a woman lustfully is already a form of adultery. Because we cannot hide anything from God. You and I, God's got a a video camera on our heart all the time. And perhaps hearing this, we have gotten used to perhaps accepting this dichotomy between how people appear externally or exteriorly and yet how we might hide a deep secret inside in our heart. Some people just have no problem with seeing a, a, a disjunction. What I do externally is one thing, what I have in my heart is different and they see it as absolutely impossible to reconcile those two. That is, just the fact that I should have an interior thought or a gaze just interiorly is already a sin. That's too much for me, Lord, they, they may think. It's impossible. But clearly our Lord wants, to take, wants us to take this seriously if He speaks about cutting out an eye, cutting off a hand. Why are you so serious about this, Lord? Naturally, He doesn't want to physically you know, to make, do harm to us. But after all, our Lord is not some kind of Victorian prude with an outdated cultural and social prohibitions that are not applicable to our secular culture in our life today. Because uh, remember, our Lord spoke about this gaze, about this look, looking at a woman lustfully, right after the Beatitudes, in which he specifically says, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God doesn't say they shall be with God or they shall be accepted by God. No, they shall see if they are pure of heart. And so seeing and purity are somehow intimately connected. In particular, seeing God, embracing God in our life. And he wants us to see the greatest and the most beautiful thing that we can ever imagine. That we can't really see with the eyes of our head. He wants us to see Him face to face. After all, when we describe heaven, it's not about some luxury hotel. It's not about a nice jacuzzi. It's really about seeing. That's what it is. Even if we were in an uncomfortable position physically, if we are seeing, we have God. Now we still may think that all this talk about purity and chastity we may be tempted to think that at least that it's an outmoded prejudice or maybe even an, a religious obsession. But let us not just, you know, stop at the misery of our own contemporary secularized culture. I would suggest that 
rather than seeing this as a kind of jaundiced, outmoded prejudice, that our Lord is inviting us to take this as a challenge, as a summons, as a, even as a deputation in which he is entrusting us with a great treasure, the treasure of human dignity, the treasure of living with a true integrity. In fact, St. Josemaria, I would say, used the best word for that when he spoke about purity. He spoke about it in terms of it being a crusade, a crusade. He said, a beautiful phrase here from the way, there is a need for a crusade of manliness and purity to counteract and undo the savage work of those who think that man is a beast. And that crusade is your work. He says it's your work. He didn't say you know, that this is the responsibility of some crusty ecclesiastical hierarchy that have to tell us what we should do or what we shouldn't do. It's not about the hierarchy. It's not about priests. It's, it's your work, your and mine. Mine too. And he had a great confidence that young men could live out this crusade by first living it out themselves in, that, in integrity. Why? Because he understood deeply how we were all made, we were all created in the image and likeness of God. It's like God is like a painter. He looked at his only son, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, and then he painted each one of us as a kind of a, a beautiful masterpiece. He made us so that we could participate in this intimate life with the Blessed Trinity, no less. He called us, therefore, to live this integration of the body and the soul. Because we are not just a body. That would make us a beast, as he says, an animal. But we're not just a soul. That would make us an angel. We're not angels. We're not a soul floating around. We're not just an animal or body. We're an ensouled body, if that makes any sense, right? A, a, a unity between body and soul. And this can only happen in the human being. And so when he calls us to that, to that purity, the Lord is really calling us to a harmony, a balance between the body and soul, and ultimately uh, an integration. Now, done most beautifully and uniquely, it was done in our Blessed Mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's why we always have images of our Blessed Mother, like we have here in our oratories, because she had, of course, a beautiful body, a beautiful soul. Never stained by sin, neither original sin nor personal sin. And, and Jesus had prepared her in his redemptive plan. She had to be redeemed, like all of us, but she was redeemed in a way in which she was prevented from ever even being stained by sin. And that's why she's so beautiful. It would not make any sense to show a painting of Our Lady where she's like kind of not beautiful, right? Like, just like, you know, nix that one, delete it, get something better. And uh, because of the harmony between body and soul. So let's ask our Lord now, Lord, give me confidence that I can arrive at that, that order, that redemptive plan that you want by living out the virtue of holy purity. Before I make it a crusade, I have to live it myself. 
I have to be chaste myself. Let us not think this is impossible in our culture. This is how the Catechism defines chastity or purity. It says, sexuality affects all aspects of the human person in the unity of his body and his soul. And it especially concerns affectivity, the capacity to love and to procreate, and in a more general way, the aptitude of forming bonds of communion with others. The aptitude, the ability. And indeed, it is a danger that we, that we find it difficult to, to listen to others, even to communicate with others. With, with women, and they don't understand us. We don't understand them. We, you know, what's going on? We, it's as though we can't form a bond just by talking to them. It's, there's a kind of like a, a, a dysfunctionality sometimes. And a lot of it has to do with the lack of the virtue of purity. We don't see them for what they really are in all their dignity. And we have to remember that that, that inner harmony that is wanted by Christ is ultimately directed towards our communion with God. That's our destiny, that perfect communion. And we know that Pope John Paul II insisted a lot on this, on the beautiful virtue of chastity. In fact, when he went to Poland in 1999, he said that it is that is by uniting himself to Christ, particularly in the sacraments, he says that man experiences, he says, the triumph of grace in the faculties. The triumph of grace in the faculties of his nature. His mind, he says, is enlightened. His heart is purified. And his freedom is renewed. In our intellect, he says, the darkness and the dullness and darkness left by the fall are healed. Are healed by the gift of faith. So that now Christian, the Christian shares in the mind of Christ. It's a very optimistic vision about how we can be healed and how indeed we need to be healed. And of course, with all that surrounds us, with the gadgets and uh, you know, uh, Instagram and advertising and the, just the constant barrage of intimidation and the titillation of our mind, right? we can indeed grow weak. We can be kind of dissipated and dull, bland, lackluster, dilatory, slow to react into all those things that offend our Lord and, and darken our soul. We can become sluggish to embrace the real good, even sluggish to embrace this, this crusade that St. Josemaria spoke about. And it's as though our mind goes into a kind of a sensual fog. And when we think of a fog, we think like a, of a gray mist where you can't see. You know, people talk about, oh, I have brain fog. Father, I have brain fog. I, I, I can't concentrate and uh, okay, I understand that. Brain fog, it'll happen. But this is a sensual fog and it's not gray. It's, you know, Instagram image here, a YouTube clip here, uh, you know, a TikTok here. It's like it's a fog of all kinds of stuff that we have seen in the last half hour. And we have to be convinced that if our will triumphs, it's through God's grace, which will give us the freedom, the freedom to love, to the point that, that we 
as a redeemed person, we'll seek to make Christ's, uh, Christ entirely our own. His yes, his yes to the cross. You know? His yes to that redemptive act will be our own. We can say yes to Christ. We can say, yes, I want to live holy purity. I want to live chastity. And, you know, when we say yes to Christ, this is not something demeaning or somehow strenuous or shackling our senses. Often people think of chastity as a form of repression, of Victorian prudery of some kind. As though, this is what the lie we're told, as though we could only really be true to ourselves if we gave in to all our urges. That, that clearly is a well-marketed lie of the devil. Just be yourself. Just follow your urge. Right? And of course, like all, all things, there's a, like a smidgen of truth, like a little tiny, tiny little grain of truth. Right? That, that yes, we have to follow what is inside, but not necessarily the inside urge, which is deep down not really inside. It's our body rebelling. And... Because ultimately we know we serve God, yes, but with broken cisterns. We're, flat, we're fragile. But how strong God's grace can make us and has made many saints. Even though we have to struggle, like St. Paul, St. Augustine. He was falling into despair. He didn't think he'd ever overcome. But he understood that he had to open himself to God's grace. St. Josemaria says, When you resolve firmly to lead a clean life, chastity will not be a burden for you. It will be a triumphal crown. It will be like a victory. We can ask, okay, wait. Okay, you might say, maybe you're objecting here. Say, okay, Father, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. But why should I lead a clean life? Why? Well, the answer is because, Lord, I want that crown. That crown is an image of heaven, what I will be crowned with in heaven. But it can also begin here. And the crowning will be a crowning of freedom, of living that integrity, of having a sense of dominion, self-dominion. It's going to express itself in being able to look at others, at women, through the lens of human dignity through the lens of the love of God. That's why, you know, John Paul II, right, he said, the problem with pornography is not that it shows too much, but that it shows too little. You're going, what? Little? What? Yeah, yeah, it shows so little of the dignity. Indeed, it obscures the dignity of the human person, tarnishes it. In that sense, it shows too little. And we may think we're really seeing the human person, and we're not. We, a person who watches that objectifies somebody of great, great dignity, somebody whom God loves. So let us say really yes eh, to this crusade. First, it's like a crusade that has to take place in our own home. So we can have that capacity to look at others with that inherent dignity and worth that they have. But for that, we need to start working. Like This is what St. Josemaria said, again, quoting a letter that he received. In the way, he says, 
you, a doctor, an apostle, you write to me. We all know by experience that we can be chaste, living vigilantly, frequenting the sacraments, and stabbing out the first sparks of passion before the fire can spread. And it so happens that among the chaste are found the finest men in every way. And among the lustful predominate the timid, the selfish, the treacherous, and the cruel. Characters of little manliness. You know, is it possible? Is it possible with the rise of violence, with the whether it's the in, the in our culture, whether it's the shootings and and the uprisings and the demonstrations, you know, lots of violence in our culture today. Is it have, does it ultimately have something to do with men of little manliness, with men who have given themselves over to lustful desires, and that you know brings out all this violence. We really want to have a hopeful desire to say yes to Christ always. And if we say yes to him, suddenly the virtue of, of holy purity and chastity is not this heavy burden that we imagine it to be. But on the contrary, it gives us, well, greater dignity, greater value, but also it makes us, in some ways, you could say, kind of lighter, kind of lighter. It's like, like the pirouette of an athlete or imagine, you know, a figure skater, you know, when they go around the skate and then they, they do a triple loop, you know, and they, and they fly and they glide and they, they're like, their arms are like, a, they, like the wings of an angel. And you see them, wow, look at that, you know. They, and they just did a triple loop and they smile, right? And you might think, uh, okay, no, that's good for those skaters, but I, I, can't, I can't do a triple loop, you know, and, and land safely. Maybe I can do a triple loop, but I'm going to break my face, you know, as I land, right? And, uh, and we may think that I can't do that. I can't glide there safely. Okay, I understand that. But those figure skaters hmm, have been practicing. They've probably taken many falls along the way, but they have good coaches. Hey? They have good training. They have good encouragement. And at one point, they have to take on fortitude before they make that triple loop. I mean, I don't know what technique they use, but probably as they're winding up and about to do, you know, you hear the commentators, and now here comes the triple loop, right? I probably imagine that they're imagining themselves floating through the air before they even do it, and then they, they land safely in their head, and then they just do it. You just got to do it. And... Uh, and it's, it's beautiful to see when the whole crowd is silent I mean, before, they, as they're winding up, and and the you know the cuts in the camera, and they lie, and they lie, and then you, you get a, a quick clip of the of the judges taking note. You know that's a nine point nine. You know I mean they they're really impressed by somebody that can do that. You know when I was a teenager, I remember watching a famous Canadian uh, figure skater. His name was uh, Toller Cranston. He was like a six-time figure skating champion for Canada. He won a bronze medal, if I recall. And he, this guy has this such an inventive choreography, right? And he had these cool, elaborate costumes. And, uh, and uh, at one point, he was diagnosed with some kind of inflammation in the knees that made it very painful, right? And, uh, but he, this guy kept at it, you know? And he had these incredible moves, like the, like the Russian splits, where he would split out and touch his toes in the mid in mid air, right, with skates on. And uh, you know he could actually touch both toes, and people would just like they were, they were just 
standing in applause as, as, as he seemed to be defying gravity. But the Lord Jesus does not ask us to defy gravity in the struggle to live holy purity. He's just asking us to fight. Even if you have weak knees, inflamed knees, he's asking us to be strong, to be courageous, and to fight. Because ultimately, holy purity is a triumphant affirmation of love. And if it's a triumphal affirmation of love, love of God and love of others and proper love of ourselves, well, inevitably, it's also a joyful affirmation. We picture, perhaps, in our culture, chastity as something sad and too heavy and, and you know, just, like, sad. But on the contrary, St. Rosemary called it a joyful affirmation. Why? Because it's so deeply connected to authentic love. Now, Sinusmir called it a joyful affirmation, but he also had very many practical cues to help us. Like he would, he has these one-liners, like he would say, overeating is the forerunner to impurity. And probably overdrinking. He didn't say overdrinking, but it probably includes overdrinking. Um, or he would say, the temptation uh, to, to enter into dialogue with the temptation, he said, he said, don't try to reason with concupiscence. Just scorn it. Concupiscence is the desire, the dialogue. When you enter, concupiscence wants something sensual. He says, scorn it. Just like, get it out of here. You know? like the, the word scorn is a form, uh, it's a strong word, right? But it's the devil, so you can scorn the devil. No problem. Now, maybe overeating is a precursor. Definitely, but so is overseeing or over browsing the internet, over scrolling through Instagram, not having a fixed schedule in the day, even lacking proper decorum or modesty with ourselves. He said that these are all little brothers, you know, modesty and decorum and all that, they're all little brothers of holy purity. They help us, they defend us. And we need those little brothers of decorum and modesty. And naturally, in our dress, but, but obviously in our eyes, the way we look, the way we look outside and, and at others. He also spoke about our speech with our friends. He said, talking about impure things is as sticky as tar. You know, it's powerful images. It's like tar, I don't know. Not only is it sticky, but it smells really bad. You know? Tar is like, oof. So we should, we should have the rectitude, the dignity of, maybe you're in, a, I don't know, you're in an environment where the guys, the guys with that kind of conversation, and don't hesitate to stand up, you know, storm out if necessary, you know, you know rage storm or whatever you call it, right? And, uh, uh, or just don't talk about that, you know, just like, ah, and maybe you'll be approved, considered approved, fine. Remember, the devil tells us, this is impossible. It's impossible, he tells us. Yeah. You know? Well, we shouldn't listen to him. Because after all, the devil is the father of lies. You know, It's always possible to conquer. St. Augustine had fallen into despair due to his sins against purity. He thought it was impossible. 
But then he discovered and taught that victory here is always possible once we've learned how to pray. Once we've learned how to pray. That's what he learned. And there we learn how to fight. And we ask for help in our prayer. And in his experience echoes St. Paul. Right? In his letter to the Corinthians who said, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength. But he will also provide you a way of escape so that you may endure it, says St. Paul. That beautiful phrase from the leper, Domine, Lord, si vis potes me mundare, in Latin. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Of course I will, he says to the leper. And of course he's saying that to us now in the realm of holy purity. And what a beautiful prayer for us to say, Lord, if you will, and I know you will, make me clean. And, uh, and if we do that, you know, the Lord will give us that grace because that's, an act, that's a prayer that we're saying. It's, it's actually a prayer, right? So, and so, well, naturally we pray also to our Blessed Mother because really she is the proof that the spiritual means are much more powerful than any human means. That's why St. Josemaria would speak about the danger of shipwrecks shipwrecks when a, a ship goes underwater and goes down he says when you see the storm coming if you seek safety in that firm refuge which is Mary there will be no danger of your wavering or going down Santa Maria Stella Maris Holy Mary star of the sea be our guide just that aspiration or if you want just the direct call you know, to, to be cleansed by our Lord will will mean that we will avoid any shipwreck in our interior life. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.